Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's me. I'm Cindy Howes, the host of this podcast. Thank you for finding us. Hope everything is going well for you. A couple of announcements before we get to Erin McKeown. You can support Basic Folk by going to basicfolk.com slash donate. Help produce the podcast. If you are helping and have contributed already, thank you so much, uh, and if you cannot contribute, you can always go to our website and sign up for our email list, follow us on social media, or suggest Basic Folk to a friend. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That's always very helpful. And Basic Folk is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network. And every Sunday, they send out an email uh, curating the top five podcasts on the network. If you want that in your inbox from American Songwriter, it's called the Suncast. You can subscribe to the newsletter by going to americansongwriter.com slash suncast. Okay. I think Erin McKeown was really into this conversation solely because it allowed her slash them to dig deep into the new record Kiss Off Kiss. Halfway through the interview, Aaron proclaimed how fun it was to get to address each track. And I concur, it was very fun. Kiss Off Kiss was funded through a generous gift from a friend of Aaron's who gave away the money with no stipulations about how it should be used. Aaron decided to make a record and pay it forward with micro grants for individuals serving their community with proceeds from the digital sales of the album that she'll be distributing at the end of 2021. The subject matter of the new album stems from a breakup Aaron experienced a couple of years ago. They thought they were done with all that, but sneaky feelings of heartbreak found their way into her mindset when she found herself settling into the pandemic. Aaron decided to challenge themselves by writing as many songs as they could about the topic, and bam, we get a whole dang Aaron McKeown album. And she thought she was done making records. Kiss Off Kiss is a fun breakup record. Some breakups are very dark and sad. Some are less heavy, so Aaron went in that direction. There are a few songs that point out Aaron's desire to not be in a relationship, calling it a crime and proclaiming that she is her own baby. However, when love comes calling, it can be difficult to ignore. Even though this is a fun record, there are some vulnerable songs about sex and some nasty songs that Aaron admits are not fair. After all, this is her side of the story. Digging into those songs sparks an interesting conversation about what it's been like to sing these songs live in front of people who want eye contact. Pretty sure you won't get that with these songs. You will get Amazing Suits, Steve Berlin saxophone solos, and the urge to know what will happen when this person, 
the subject of Kiss Off Kiss, finally responds. What? I'm invested in the story now. Thank you, Aaron. We love you. Hope you enjoy our conversation as we go track by track for the album Kiss Off Kiss with Aaron McKeown on Basic Folk. It's my birthday, so I am doing this with you on my birthday by choice. Well, happy birthday. Aaron, before we get into these questions about your new album, Kiss Off Kiss, uh, I wanted to check in and see what gender you are today. Oh, that's a good question. I'm, I guess I'm still fine with she. I don't, I like they too. I'm a she, they person, perhaps. Um, I just changed my gender on my driver's license. Uh, I have the option of X in Massachusetts, which I think is a great gender to be. Wow. Yeah. So it's very like, for me, X is like the variable. Right. You mm-hmm. solve for X in like your, you know, 10th grade algebra class. So like my gender is variable and I appreciate mm. how you asked that question. What is it today? Today, she, they is fine. Great. All right. Let me tell this story so you don't have to. <clears throat> There's a lot to talk about on the new album, Kiss Off Kiss, but I wanted to start with the funding for the album and how you are paying it forward. You were sent a form letter and a sum of money, a very big check that was enough to make a Steve Berlin-produced album from a friend of yours whose family had recently sold an airplane invention. (laughs) Right. You decided to make an album, and then you were taking the digital sales of this album, Kiss Off Kiss, giving it out as $500 micro-grants where people in your community can nominate a person who is then in turn helping their community. And it's people, not organizations. Uh, You said on the Songsmiths podcast that I hope to be able to send a letter like this, uh, and it was so responsibly done and thoughtful, and you could receive this gift with joy. So now in your process of giving out microgrants, you haven't, as far as I know, given any out yet. Um, what lessons can you apply from your experience of being a recipient and have you taken any advice directly from your friend? Uh, I haven't taken any advice directly from my friend. I certainly will. Um, giving out money can be complicated. There's a lot, there's a lot can come that can come up and I, um, haven't, um, fully faced all of that yet. The idea is at the end of the year, we'll see how much money is in the pot and um, be able to collect donation, uh, nominations and donations through about the middle of December and then before the end of the tax year, um, I will distribute what we have. And so far, we, we have enough money in the pot so far for at least three, which is, which is really great. Yeah, and, um, and I've got probably 10 nominations so far. So, so there's going to be some choices to make. And, um, and I'm definitely going to sit down with my friend. Um, and I'm definitely going to sit down with some fundraising uh, philanthropy grant professionals too, and talk mm. about like you know, um, how do you think about making these decisions, and um, and then any yeah, and then as far as that goes, is like you know my, my my friend knew me so 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 they knew who was going to open the mailbox and read that letter. Um, n- I'm not giving this money to anyone I know, um, so there will be some layer of like how how do you just like contact someone you 
you don't know and say, I would like to give you $500. Like, this is not a scam. Um, so there's some, <laughs> so I got to figure that part out too. Um, but I mean, these are great problems to have. It's like how to figure out how to give away money, but it's definitely, um, it's, I definitely need, uh, and will seek out like professional help. Another thing you've said about using the money to make an album was that it wasn't like a responsible choice. And that really resonated with me because I feel like I'm a very practical person. But at the end of the day, I would have made the same choice. So what's been your yeah, totally like (laughs) what's been your experience with like being a responsible person? And how has it been for you to choose like what you want, like responsibility versus like being practical? I'm I'm a pretty responsible person. I've been financially independent for a long time, um, and I'm not uh, dependent on. I I certainly grew up with family um, money, and I was lucky to have my college paid for. But um, beyond that, I have been financially independent for a long time. So I really ha- do have to be careful because there isn't like a a trust fund or a parent or any of the kind of nets that some people have. Like if I, you know. If I get into trouble and uh, the music business is like, you know, not a great place to put your money, uh, just hmm. in terms of, you know, if you're thinking about like return on investment. Um, I, this is my 11th album. Kiss Off Kiss is my 11th album. And sometimes I think about how I could have 11 houses because each of these records cost uh, more than a substantial down payment on a house. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just the way that's just the way it is that's doing it as responsibly as possible and as like economically as possible um i'm not answering your question because i ultimately just think it's dumb and (laughs) i don't i don't understand i i really truly don't understand like i guess i mean obviously i like making records right I, i i do really love making records and we had a really joyful experience um i i don't always like putting out records um that which is where it gets I think more emotionally and like financially complicated mm. um you should have done that um have you seen that movie the truth about cats and dogs where no. the, the radio dj Janelle Garofalo switches place with Uma Thurman so like Janelle Garofalo <laughs> is like the voice and then Uma Thurman is like the 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 like in person person oh amazing right I need to I need to get someone to like yeah I hear, I hear what you're saying I need to get someone to like to say that they're me and I actually go out and do all this stuff um, and do all the shows. Um, I I guess, I guess the answer is I I don't know. I guess I'm not done making music. Uh, I guess there's some part of me that like, I guess there's some part (laughs) of me that can't, that can't quit it. And, um, and isn't coming from a a practical or responsible place because, um, you know, it's like, honestly, it's like opening a restaurant with your own money, which everybody knows you shouldn't do. And mm. I I guess I'm still, I guess I'm still at heart, like, in love with the idea of putting music out in the world and hoping that people hear it. Um, even though there's so much bullshit around it that I, quite honestly, I'm tired of. Mm. I talked to Mary Gaucher recently, and she's been a big proponent of getting music away from the music industry. So maybe start a movement together. Well, you know, she changed my life one day. We were sitting at, um, I've known her for a really long time from our early Boston scene days, but I was at um, 
I was at Michigan Women's Music Festival probably like yes. 15, 15 years ago uh, <laughs> sitting at the like performer lunch tent and she was sitting there and we were just talking and I probably was having the same conversation that you and I are having, which is like, <laughs> why do we make <laughs> records when it's so difficult? Um, the business part of it. And, um, and she was like, she was basically like, I think because at that time I was on a record label and she was basically like, get off, you're sharecropping. And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you're making, you know, plants on not your own land. You're growing cotton for someone else. And I was like, you're totally right. And um, I hadn't thought about it that before. I mean, obviously, like sharecropping is a um, complex and uh, has a racial history to it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the idea of of essentially doing all the work on someone else's land and then not being properly paid for it is what mm -hmm. she was trying to, um, to point out to me. And, you know, it was great because I haven't, I, I have been able to get all my masters back since then. The last of my records, um, of these 11 records comes back home to my label, um, next week actually. So I'll have all 11 of them back. And, um, there were three that were on a, a big label on a 17 year contract and, and it's over, <laughs> which is amazing. So no more sharecropping. So if you're going to do it, I guess is, is what I would say is, is if you're going to, if you're going to do it, like really consider like not doing it for someone else. Cause at least, at least I'm doing this for myself and for my own company. Right. All of this seems like it ties into your teaching uh, position at Brown university called professor of the practice. What does that exactly mean? And how has it been going? Well, it was a two-year position, so I um, I'm finished with it now. Um, but basically, it's a fancy word for um, people who don't have master's degrees or PhDs who are teaching in a college environment. Um, but it's basically acknowledging my 25 years of experience as a writer and as a touring artist and as a theater composer, and um, bringing me into an academic environment with all that like practical real world experience. So I taught to, I got to build my own class and the class was called um, uh, Making the 21st Century Musical. And basically under the guise of writing a musical, I basically was teaching my songwriting philosophy to, um, to two different really great cohorts of students. And they were writing stuff every week the end of the semester they pitched um, a musical and wrote two songs from it and um, we just had an amazing time like watching and talking about and listening to musicals together but mostly I was teaching them like how, how to be an artist right the kind of things that mm -hmm. were shown to me when I was 19 to 20 years old like how do you show up every day and be creative and um, how can you stretch your own abilities? How can you expand your skills? How can you um, receive criticism? How can you revise? Like that kind of basic stuff. So we, it was technically about musicals, but it was really just like a writing workshop. Hmm. So d did you say that you wrote a musical during that time? I, I wrote a musical um, from 2011 to 2018 called Miss You Like How. Okay. In yes, yes. That yes. that I know, but I also read that you were planning on writing a second. I wrote one. another one. Um, I wrote another one in the summer of 2018 into early 2019, um, mostly just to see if I could do it all on my own. 
And um, right before the pandemic started, like the spring of the pandemic, um, we had in the pipeline developmental workshop for it at Brown as part Mm -hmm. of my position. And um, music director, director, um, we were casting it with students and then bing, bing, bing pandemic happens. <laughs> yada 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 <laughs> of a blah 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 pando um so that is currently sitting on a shelf and it might it might be the right place for that musical to stay on the shelf it was really good mm-hmm. for me to just sort of like work through writing another another musical with what I learned from the first one and trying to mm-hmm. like just put my hand in all the pots instead of just the composing and lyricist pot so early pandemic Erin she was so happy so happy <laughs> incredibly happy <laughs> you'd plan some downtime before covid happened and so you were at your idyllic countryside cabin in western massachusetts rediscovering your love of songwriting <laughs> i was it's true actually yep it's true you also you also discovered that you had not fully processed a quote unquote breakup with someone with whom you went on four dates with. So then um, you made it a game where you would try and write as many songs as possible about it. Does that all sound correct? That's right. Okay. Since you have been processing feelings through writing for over 20 years, and since like, you know, you were describing yourself as being like really, really happy, and then this like little nagging feeling was pulling at you and pulling you towards songwriting, when could you like feel this, I don't know how old the the heartbreak was, but this kind of like past and frankly pretty sneaky hurt healing? Yeah, sneaky is such a good word for it. Um, it was not quite two years in the past, so a kind of significant amount of time had passed actually. I like this idea of like it tugging at me. Um, another word that I've been thinking as I've been talking about it with people for the first time is like haunted like Mm -hmm. I I was kind of like haunted by it and and also this question of like uh, it was like four dates over like I don't know four months or so and does that count as a breakup like is it a breakup or were we together what was that and um but like you're you're thinking like four dates over four months in 2021 so there's also got to be some other communication like you're talking about texts in the album quite a bit so like there must have been like a lot of yeah yeah there was phone calls and texts and like so in that sense yes I guess together um with some other circumstances around it but like I guess I'll just say not exclusive that's like the the, like like, easiest way to like set the context of it four Mm -hmm. dates not exclusive with this person but yes um yeah phone calls and texts and and communication and um rendezvous that um sometimes went great and sometimes didn't you know misfired what was your question about it when could you tell that like oh this is like kind of breaking up and healing because of this writing I don't think it's healed Hmm. I I don't I, I'm not sure that it's um, there's still a real open question about it um, mm. in us in the the record um, is well there's still an open question about it because I, I haven't heard from the person there's a there's a, a cutoff there was a cutoff of communication uh, that's been permanent so there's mm. and so the the album falls into that first of all um, and so there's just an open question of like well I don't I'm not even sure what 
if they know that this happened or they've heard it or what they think. I about mean, it. obviously they do. I don't know. No, Come on. I don't know. Um, so there's that, that, so that, so I think that's piece of, I think that, that, that piece of it is what makes it feel like I wasn't trying to heal it by writing it. And I, and I'm not thinking that it's healed by having put the record out. Um, I, what I was doing was kind of like picking a stance and like, just like enjoying that stance, which is like mm. a little bit petty and like <laughs> a little bit like wronged and also hurt and um kind of like being play being playful within that um so it's like all, all of these things but it, but i i resist myself feeling like this is sort of like see it's triumph on the other side or like <laughs> you're healed or something like that it remains like a it remains a haunting for me i think that's what mm. i would say but then like how do you you just are like living with it yeah, totally just living with it. Until it yeah. goes away. Well, until it goes away or I think until we have a conversation. Um, I, I think that might be helpful. Um, but but the silence is kind of interesting. <laughs> mm. I have to say. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess you know, and I'm, I'm uh, trying to be uh, appropriate and ethical in terms of like, you know, not just not, not messing with someone else's privacy around it. Um, but, but that... That's what I can say from my side of it. <laughs> the record is my side, you know, and I, and I think that's very clear. And I, I think that that's important to say when we're talking about, like, uh, breakup records, right? They're, they're, mm -hmm. They don't have to be fair. In fact, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're very good if they're fair. Um, I think you can kind of, you know, it's, it's your opportunity to say, like, your side of it. And it doesn't have to be right. And it doesn't have to be fair. Um, and I think it's a lot like, I, I think of it like fiction. There's sort of a character that's created uh, and I'm sort of acting from a place of a character and we're sort of t spinning out this story that is, you know, some ways true to what actually happened and in other ways like mm -hmm. uh, amped and fictionalized for the process of making songs. So you challenge yourself to write songs about this breakup, and you've participated in a songwriting group with Matt the Electrician called The Game, where you are given a prompt and a week to write a song. Like all of your guests have been in it. <laughs> really? <laughs> should, I should go through the basic folk uh, list of who's been on who's been on what and tell you which people are in the game from your from your archives because it's quite it's quite a few. <laughs> um, the last time you were on. We had a bonus episode that I called Aaron McKeown is um, Folk Wikipedia. And yeah, I think we it was just, I remember that. Yeah, we yeah, were, that we were dropping, dropping names. We were dropping names. Um, yeah, there's there's maybe, I don't know how many people are in it right now. It's it, people coming in and out. But there's, uh, the, I can think of five or six people that have been with me in it consistently since 2014. Um, so we know that you're competitive from your sports career. Um what can you say about songwriting as competition and like what do you think in general about music as competition like the grammys reality singing yeah, shows i like this question um the game is not a competition and it's not a workshop uh though its name makes it sound like that um it's really like a kind of personal responsibility project so it's like no one's mad at you if you don't turn no one's keeping track Matt, it's not like Matt says, like, Aaron, you haven't turned something in for 
now I think it's been like 14 or 15 weeks <laughs> it's been <laughs> since I've haven't turned something in it's hard for me to like when I'm in like album and tour promo mode to like be writing um so I get the prompt every week and I think I'll do it this week and then I never do it um but no no one's keeping track um it's really just like personal responsibility and there's no feedback every once in a while you get an email from someone who's like hey I liked that chorus but like I'm not even sure how much we listen to each other's songs like I think when you first join the group you think okay I'll listen to 15 new songs every week um and then you realize that it's impossible and you probably end up picking and choosing so um it's not the the uh the songwriting group is not competitive I don't think competition is good for music um I think competition acts on like a scarcity mentality mm. like there's one award who will get it and um we're already fighting such a scarcity mentality like oh radio station only has so many plays like who's gonna get them um that i find is painful emotionally and not good for my creativity and i'm not sure it's good for other people's creativity to be operating under basically a market I don't know why the theme of my conversation with you today is economics, <laughs> capitalism, and markets, but that is what I'm thinking about. Like, I just don't think it's very helpful um, to music to kind of like let the free market decide. Hmm. Well, all right, let's go through this album track by track. <laughs> great, great, great. <laughs> opens up cupido stupido well said you said it with the correct accent thank you uh i do have a question about that but first of all i want to know about like the reason for starting the record off with such like elvis costello dissonance well elvis costello has always been a influence of mine and was definitely like at the top of my brain brain as I was writing this record there's a couple songs that I think are like pretty Elvis Costello-ish um when we when Steve Berlin and I sequenced the record this one just seemed clearly the first one um in terms of like sort of laying out the playfulness of the record and laying out its sort of punk pop origins um and then we had uh you know made a little improvisational like jazz opening jam which we thought would sound really fun as like the top of the record so that that was mostly the thought of it is it 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 encompassed the energy it was sort of the right um musical reference to start everything with uh so cupido stupido is really just me saying something playfully i don't think it's meant to be any uh reference to <laughs> spanish uh i just think it sounds funny it's so spanish in general doesn't normally have an impact on you not not um not usually outside of miss you like hell like I took some Spanish classes while we were making that record because I it felt like a curiosity of mine that I wanted to satisfy and uh, because I was around so many bilingual people in that project and and we were working with bilingual lyrics and um uh and then I haven't had as much opportunity as I would like 
to use it since then and I've gotten rusty again. But um, the uh, Cupido Stupido comes from a prompt from the game. So the prompt for that song was um, reinvents Cupid. And sometimes when we, sometimes when I use a prompt for the game, I'll substitute it later. Like I'll just write the song and then, cause usually the prompt is so unmusical that you just want to get rid of it. And, um, and I remember sending this to the group when I wrote it and saying like, Oh, don't worry. I'm, I'm actually going to like get rid of reinvents Cupid later. Um, and a bunch of people from the group wrote back and they're like, no, no, you got to keep it. It's really good. So that's how I, I wanted to, I was going to take the prompt out, but then I kept it in. Yeah. That's cool. Great opening track. Ah, oh, thank you. It's fun. It's fun when we play it live because it's really fun to have the whole band and everybody just going, da, 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 da. <laughs> You've really out Aaron McKeown yourself. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's a high compliment. Second best was too much to bear Rearranging deck chairs on that sinking bedstead For when I was finally awake did I dare Lord, hear our prayer For the blankness of your stare For how I couldn't get beneath some layer Scared me shitless that I could care this much Lord, hear our prayer For all that millionaire solitaire Laissez-faire this price of repair For all the writers who fucked me Thinking they'd write something uh, The next song is Litany for a Minor Character And it sounds like queer beat poetry and Led Zeppelin Yes, thank you for take. The, thank you for that beautiful description. Um, yeah, what can I say about this? I, I, it's my favorite song on the record. Absolute favorite song on the record. And um, I've been making more poems recently, and live have been doing more poems uh, in my show. And um, this one, I was like, uh, I had like a cold or something, and the prompt for the for the week was minor character and um so I couldn't sing because I was sick this was in uh January 2020 perhaps an early COVID experience I'm not sure um but I couldn't sing so I made a poem and um and that's how the the song kind of came to be but um mm-hmm. it it is um it is a story of uh, a number of the four dates sort of details from those ma- make an appearance in that in this in the story of the litany. That is a song that you co-wrote with Lori McKenna. Um, and this also sounds like, uh, can you tell me about, um, you had like a project going before the pandemic that uh, Lori was a part of, at least in, in writing this song. Can you talk about that? Yeah, before the pandemic, before we ever imagined that a pandemic would happen to us, uh, I was thinking about not necessarily an album, but just something to like keep my creative juices flowing and I thought it'd be really fun 
to inspired by the game um, to take the same prompt to all kinds of different writers that I really admired and have us co-write from the same prompt. And so I probably wrote um, 10 or 11 of them with a, with a really fun group of people. Bridget Carney from Lake Street Dive, mm-hmm. um, Lauren McKenna, um, this awesome old friend of mine named Tyler Hilton, who's like a teen idol, like WB, now Hallmark Channel TV star. <laughs> we wrote an amazing song uh, together. A friend of mine, um, a Mexican singer-songwriter, Renee Ghost, and I wrote a song together. Um, Josh Ritter and I started working on a song together with this and the prompt was on off heart and so I was collecting these co-writes and and thinking it would kind of be like an exquisite corpse kind of group of songs and I wasn't telling Lori what Josh and my on off heart song was like and I wasn't telling Josh what Bridget and I wrote and I was interested to see like where things would lead you, you know in terms of like everyone starting from the same place um, and then the pandemic hit and I got lost interest in the project, but, but Lori's on off heart song, um, was honestly the best of the co-writes and it really had a place on this record and, mm. and, and was ab- about this person as well. So aren't you mad at her for being so good? I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I, th- th- you know what? Uh, almost any other singer songwriter I am mad at, <laughs> um, or, you know, or jealous in some way, you know, or compare myself to, um, but, but for me, Lori, um, blessedly has just escaped that worst parts of my personality. Um, she, I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but like, I just am genuinely a hundred percent really happy for her. And, um, love what she does and honestly I'm quite surprised she still answers my texts um Hmm. but she does and and so we we got to make this song together and um and then uh, when when it was ready for the song to come out we had a nice exchange around it but she's I I the the sort of level that she's operating on is mind-blowing to me in terms Mm. of like the opportunities and the kind of people that she gets to work with and it's everyone just goes to like her house in Stoughton you know what I mean it's like crazy yeah. and uh i brought her a cactus we hadn't seen her in a while and i was like oh i'm gonna bring you a, a, maybe it was a succulent i brought anyway i brought her a tiny plant as a thank you for for spending the afternoon with me. oh that's nice that was the space between song is switch shadows it sounds like okay um does this sound right this is a song about embracing someone's darkness and someone else embracing yours totally totally so how hard is it for you to like find darkness in a person and then actually accept it and not try to change it either it's like somebody um like a partner or even like a friend or a colleague and how are you at still liking someone who has a dark side it is so easy for me to love someone's dark side. 
like it's so easy for me to love um the hard parts or the troubles that someone has and and so hard for me to love those things about myself um it that's the dynamic for me is like it's just so easy to say to that person like I know you struggle with this like I I I hold you in that and so not easy for me to say about myself like I struggle with this then I just go I'm a piece of shit um you know so (laughs) so that's the dynamic there but um this this song was a, a totally Steve Berlin's choice to put this not only on the record but but in the fourth position um for me this is a back half of the record kind of song and maybe even not on a record song um but he just really liked this song I'm and I you'd have to ask him like what he what he liked so much about it um but he he really um fought for this song to to be so this close to the front of the record and Mm. um so I I can't say whether that's successful or not um you could probably say more as a listener some people I I think some people probably like wait what the fuck song is this the fourth song but um (laughs) I do think I do think it lays out I I hope that it lays out this emotional conversation of like um in a relationship sometimes it's just easier to accept the hard parts of of your partner more than the part hard parts of yourself yeah Take my hand and it shadows with me now we're free Me You were the big surprise over my shoulder out of the corner of details of the crime the breakup is the crime oh no 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 the relationship is the crime mm. <laughs> the getting to the, the getting together is the crime and the, the falling for each other is the crime why is that well I think this is a theme through the whole record um certainly okay. with Cupido Stupido lays it out really clearly but like I I am I'm not looking for intimate relationships. I'm much happier when I'm not in them and and uh really enjoy when my time is my own and um it's not something I crave. I've never been that interested in it. Um I think the mistake I've made in my earlier life was actually thinking I'm supposed to have a partner when I just am not interested. Mm-hmm. Um but the thing is you can't really control I, I can't really control who I fall for, and that's the crime, right? So I wasn't intending to, I didn't want to, I didn't have time for it, it wasn't my, I wasn't that interested, and it happens anyway. Um, mm. You know, who am I to think I can reinvent Cupid? Who am I to think that I can, like, keep these, lock, keep myself locked up? Like, it's it's not my choice. Hmm. Another note I wrote on this song was very Leonard Cohen. Oh, interesting. I have no, I have no no feelings about Leonard Cohen. Dance what? Me to the End of Love was the Don't song I was thinking of. Don't even know that song. Of. Oh. 
I'll have to check it out. Was it? I will send it to you. Okay, cool. I think um, Madeline Peru also does like a oh, radio I do friendly. know that. I do know that version. Yeah, I, that's Dance on my. Me to the <laughs> that's a good. That's your good Madeline Peru impression. Well, um, it really is David Sedaris impersonating Billie Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> uh, that first Madeline Peru record, I was very into. There you go. I'm on a um, set, write down and write myself a letter. <laughs> Okay, go along, get along. I need to hear about that suit you were wearing in the video. Where did it come from? How does it add to the song? Like yeah. either like the theme of the song or the sound of the song? I, first of all, I love this song. I This is not a song that came from the game. This was literally just me somewhere in the blissful summer of 2020, sitting on my porch with a drum machine and my acoustic guitar, and it just sort of tumbled, tumbled right out. It's so fun when a song like that happens. If you've seen the video, this for your listeners, uh, yes, I'm, I'm wearing a sequined rainbow suit uh, in it that was, um, I'm very proud of ha- having been able to create and source and get this suit happened I am a small person and of gender x as we have mentioned um Mm. so so finding formal wear is really hard um so I've developed a few go-to places over the years and one of them are boys suit websites and I had a vision of wanting a glitter suit. And I wrote that on my vision board at home like five years ago. It said like glitter guitar, glitter suit. And I did get the guitar. I have a silver, a silver sparkly acoustic guitar that I got a couple years ago. And then I maybe this spring gl- like Googled boys glitter suit. And uh, this website that I've used before in the UK is called Children's Salon. <laughs> came up, and this suit was the first thing that came up in the in the Google shopping. So, um, just as a practical matter, I'll share this in case any of your listeners um, have people who want to get suits made, etc. But uh, I am very small, but not shaped like a boy. So basically, I had to buy two suits. Um, so one where the jacket was the right size and another where the pants could be built into the right size for my lady parts. And, um, so I took it to a master tailor and she rebuilt the pants for me, which is no easy feat when you're working with sequins. Um, but it's really, if you're someone who's small like me, knowing a tailor is like crucial in life. Mm. And, um, so anyway, so she rebuilt the bottom part of the suit for me and, um, all told the whole thing costs like 600 bucks and like that's pretty reasonable for like yeah a kind of once in a lifetime piece of clothing that's so striking 
Um, and we made the video on a really small budget. Um, we had like no money for anything and we were like, but we have the suit. (laughs) (laughs) And so we built that we were like, if we put the suit anywhere, it will make the video seem amazing. So that's, that's basically the story of it. So there's like, you know, like if you've seen the video, there's sort of one, like I'm just kind of wearing it the whole time in all these different environments. And, um, and, and, uh, I guess what's nice is when you have a piece of clothing like that, you kind of let it do the work. Um, so that suit is, it's, it's very special. Um, and also a little delicate, so it can't really be brought out very often. Can't travel. (laughs) It's not, and, and it's also, I think, um, I also, if you're also like me, I have a really great relationship with my dry cleaning lady. So it's like my tailor and my dry cleaning lady are like, these are my peeps. And like, we've been working <laughs> together for like 20 years, each of them. So, so I went to her and I was like, what do I do about this? And she was like, you can't clean it. Like, so it can't be cleaned. It's got to air it out. Yeah. So which means you don't want to wear it that often. So, right. um, so that's the other thing. It sort of lives in my closet and it came out for the photo shoot for the record and it came out for the video for the record. And, uh, if I ever get to that competition called the Grammys, <laughs> maybe, I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll wear it for that. Or if I, if I was ever to get like a, a TV thing or something, I'd probably wear it for that. For sure. Very memorable. Along to get along, that's just what I do. Okay, next song, Business of Show. We kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, so there's a couple lines in here. I did it all for the business of show. The business of show will kill me, I know, which makes me a little sad for you. You are in show business. <laughs> I am in show business, and it is it is killing me. This show, this song for me, this was another one that came from the game, and I and I did take the prompt out of it. The prompt for this was something terrible, like showered into order, and like I don't even know what that means. Like what is that? And I I started thinking about applause showering me mm-hmm. and and how it puts my sort of like interior in order to like perform shows you know like it's a really it's a great drug and um a really satisfying experience so that's where the song started to come from but but really it's about um about how i got an opportunity to play a show for this person that the record is about and how uh exciting and hot it was to like play a show knowing this person was watching Hmm. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How'd it, yeah, how'd it go? (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) It was a really great feeling. Uh, It was a really great feeling. And um, it's sometimes it's really boring being a touring musician. Like shows, it it can sometimes just be really boring. It is a, a job. It is a routine. It can be a grind. And mm-hmm. so a night like that where you kind of have something extra <laughs> to think about uh, is a real pleasure.
the next song, My Own Baby, I actually sent it to Rosemary from WYP because she does um, anti-Valentine's Day shows, and I sent her this song. I was like, this is a great one for your show. And I said, actually, this whole album. That's awesome. I love <laughs> that. It's great. Um, so it's a great song about self-love. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, this this is a song that um, I originally wrote a, a part of it for this musical that is up on a shelf. Um, mm. And it had a, a totally different scenario in the musical um, that I, the, the musical is like a sci-fi, like a vaudeville, like workplace comedy that takes place in a terrarium. So like, I <laughs> it's like too hard to set up like exactly the scenario that this song originally came from. Um, <laughs> And because it was part of the musical, it, it was part of a whole other scene. And so there wasn't, there was maybe like a verse of it and a chorus. Um, but then as I was polishing it up for this workshop of the musical, um, COVID happened and the musical kind of got shelved. And I started thinking about this song as like, actually, it really fits with this particular idea. And so I, I reshaped and rewrote the song to again, be about this four dates and this person. And, mm -hmm. and basically, um, you know, it's, it is for me, it's one of the songs where like, you're, you're saying the thing you want that you don't have, you know, it's sort of aspirational. It's like, I, I kind of wish I could be my own baby. I don't feel that way right now. But if I sing about it, maybe it will happen. Has it manifested itself into reality? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, I'm probably back to yeah, I'm probably back to my equilibrium of like, I'm fine without a partner. Another good exercise is every love song. Think about it as a love song to yourself. Well, right. And then this song is like the meta meta version of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I also just enjoyed the genre of it. Um, the the musical is all original songs written in the style of mid-century American standards. Um, so that's where this song kind of ends up as being like a kind of like girl group doo-wop kind mm. of situation. And I just carried that over into this version of it because it 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 just it just felt really right and really fun to to be working in that genre of like love songs, but like it's really a love song for me. This was the other candidate to make a video for and we ended up um we ended up not doing that. Mm. But the the treatment for the video was going to be like um, me doing all kinds of things that you would do with partners, but doing them by myself and really enjoying it. So like a candlelit dinner by myself, going to the movies by myself, <laughs> like going dancing by myself, like that kind of thing. Um, have you seen Rose Cousins video for the benefits of being alone? No, 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 no. Sounds like a different concept, but I think you would enjoy it. Would love I'll to check hear it your out. thoughts I'll at some out. point. Okay, I'm pretty excited to talk about this next song. I'm talking. I'm excited. Let me just say, I'm excited to talk about all of these songs. Like, I yes. have not had an opportunity like this to like go song by song and like talk about them. And people are mostly asking me about the fundraising aspect of this record, and not really like talking about the emotional parts or the different songs. So, like, you are doing me like a huge honor by going oh. track by track with me. So thank you. Thanks, Aaron. That's really nice. What I should have known Love is the game we play And I want to play
talk about gay drama. Okay, here we go. Okay, the song is called Is He Does He? And <laughs> basically, okay, so the premise of this song is that, like, you dated a woman, you broke up, and now she's dating a man. Or it could be applied to anyone, like... Yeah, I would apply it to, to multiple sets of genders. Right. You're a guy, and your girlfriend breaks up with you and starts dating a lady, or, you know, vice versa. Yes, exactly, like you said. So, I mean, like, seeing someone that you still like date anyone else is, like, really hard. But it always seems like so much worse when this situation happens. And I don't think, I haven't been a straight person that this has happened to, but I've been a queer person where this has happened to. And it's always like felt like so much more like worse and confusing. Is there like, what is this phenomenon called? Well, I think for me, this is one of the ones very clearly where like my self-esteem like really took a hit. And I'm trying to write about it in this song under the guise of like, no matter what quality I imagine in the is he or does he or whatever it is, I'm always coming out like less than. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what I'm trying to write about and looking for like an answer. Right. Is this the reason that this didn't work? Is this the reason? Is it like, what is it about me that made this not work? Like that's I think what's what I'm trying to write about under the guise of like there's some nasty lines in that song um, and <laughs> some unfair lines and mm. but underneath it is really just it's like my poor self-esteem or the the that that gnawing thing of like what is it about me right and I think what was your question again I got kind of caught up because I, I, really, I never really explained it like that question. way but that's like but that's pretty much what the, what the song is for me you know um, yeah I it's interesting to hear about the nastiness in that song that kind of seems like unfair like low shots yeah well I mean a line like is he just like your daddy like that's not fair <laughs> but you but how like how do you feel about like letting those lines out into the world um, mixed. Mostly, I think it kind of goes by so fast in most environments where, like, we don't have to stop and think about it. But I'll, I'll tell you this anecdote, two parts of it. Like, I, I, I've had to figure out how to play these songs live, right? And they're, they're full of lines like that, you know? Uh, I'm trying to think if I could say some of the lines from that song. Like, I know there's the one moment that's like, it's like, you know, does he fuck like me? Is he um, prettier than me? He's got a haircut like me. Is he just like your daddy? You know, like, you know, does he drink like you? Like, this not, those are not, not nice lines. And like mm -hmm. I said earlier, like, you know, this gets to be my side and gets to be kind of a, like a fictional petulant stance. And like, mm -hmm. I'm not too worried about the truth or the accuracy or like factness of that. Um, but to figure out how to, how to play these, I, I asked an audience early in the summer of this past summer, 2021, um, my, the first time I played them, I was felt incredibly shy and really, really nervous about it. And I played all of them at the gig, <laughs> not just like the, the ones I thought would go over well, but I played all of them. And an audience member said to me, like, you could think about it this way. You're shy, but the songs are not shy. 
and mm. that really helped me right because i am i am like actually like a pretty shy like person and kind of reserved but like in my writing can can take on these like sharper edges and mm. um and and per- and perform them so that that helped me put put the songs in a in a context that i could do them in front of other people and not and not want to throw up or feel too too vulnerable but the other thing that happened was the other night um we were playing in new york city um, and I had a band and we we played almost all of the songs from the record as well, including including this one and um, and some of the others that have these kind of painful little lines in them that are a little lo- bit of a low blow, super vulnerable to like. And I got a Facebook message afterwards from this guy who had been sitting like we were at City Winery and it's one of those places that has like you know, kind of, kind of long tables that radiate, radiate out from the stage. And unfortunately, like there's always, you, there, there's going to be two or three people who are literally right at your feet, um, that like a foot away from you, like eating dinner while you like do what you do. Pasta fajoule. Oh God. <laughs> and, um, it's always like very heavy food. <laughs> yeah. Well, one time, this is really soul sidetrack, but one time I was at the Iron Horse, which is a great venue in Western Massachusetts that, that also serves dinner. And I was there to see Shelby Lynn. And it's a really small place. It was a long time ago. And she was singing and doing her Shelby Lynn thing. And then in the middle of the song, she just like looked down and she was like, is that a hamburger? And she fucking reached down and took the hamburger off that person's plate and like took a bite of it and put it back. And <laughs> I was like, that is so amazing right because it's sort of like the whole thing is inappropriate like how dare you be like eating food while somebody is like performing like their their highest self (laughs) Mm. you know what I mean I that's that's how I've always felt about it um this is not dinner theater I I don't think anyway to get back Mm -hmm. to the story I got a Facebook message from the next day from from someone who had been sitting at one of those close tables and they were like you know great show thank you so much um and I had spoken to them afterwards a little bit you know it was nice to meet you afterwards and then they said I just want to tell you though that like you didn't make any eye contact with me for two hours and um and they were like I talked to the people at my table like why isn't she making eye contact with me and they were like well she's like into women and and he was like but I'm a guy but I'm a gay man like why and I mean the whole thing is messed up right because it's Mm. like I'm into lots of people first of all (laughs) and I've never said otherwise (laughs) first of all and second of all like the last song notwithstanding I'm I'm really not like looking at people that I'm only into do you you know what I mean when Mm -hmm. I'm performing um and thirdly, this is what brings up the story to me. Like, I cannot look an audience member in the eye and sing, does he fuck like me? Is he pretty like me? Mm. You know, is he hurt like me? I can't sing that. I can't look an audience member in the eye and be like, you were the blonde in the front of the row. Lips all played. You know, like these, like, I can't look someone in the eye and be like, you know, uh, any of those lines from Litany for a Minor Character. Um, any of that stuff, like I, that's just like, it's almost not your business. <laughs> Do you know what right. I mean? And, right. and it's too intimate. And like, I'm already like making a huge leap for me, uh, for who I am to be able to sing these particular songs. This is all totally new to me because these are not the kind of songs that I've written in the past 20 years. So like, sure, I'll look you in the face and sing Blackbirds. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, not only is that about a different thing, but it's also 20 years old. So, so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what, what people would expect 
from I mean perhaps this person isn't expecting something unusual but I feel extremely clear if you can't tell but there's like no way I can sing these songs and look you in the eye that is too mm. much for me oh my god there's the quote there's no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please that's a, that make that your jpeg <laughs> for this episode that'll be the blinking gif I, I mean uh, I, I I I I I haven't talked to other artists about this I guess I should but you know, most artists actually like play with their eyes closed. Like if you mm. if you look at like a lot of your favorite artists, like they sort of like throw their head back and close their eyes, and and some people do that because they're so moved by the music. Some people do that because they're shy. I was kind of raised in this like old school like hospital auxiliary vaudeville world of like you keep your eyes open when you perform. You put on nice clothes and you keep your eyes open. And so I try to do that, but I, I try to keep it like, I have to keep it blank. Like I cannot focus on a single person. Like I said, because mm. it is, that is way too much to me for me, especially with this, these songs. Gosh, it'd be interesting to hear you and Mary Gaucher talk about this stuff, not to keep bringing her up, but she has Why? a part. Why, what did she say? She has a part in her book um, about Mercy Now, mm-hmm. where she was performing it at a men's prison and uh, she was like looking around the room and seeing all these like different types of men who've had like very hard lives and very hard experiences. And she's like, well, better keep my eyes open for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's a better read in the book, but she'll talk about it when she plays uh, Mercy Now. It's a great, you know, if you haven't read it, it's great. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to read it. Um, obviously, that's my favorite song on the record because it just... Oh, good. That it's makes like, me happy. <laughs> I mean, I also have to say that I feel very proud of the the bridge of that song. Really, really, I like a lot. Like, for me to say, like, who is it that's in the bed with us, right? It's actually my self-esteem problems <laughs> are in the bed with us. Do you know what I mean? My questions are what are in the bed with us. Like, my questions, yeah. my insecurity my uh churn baggage. about this baggage all of that yeah. is like is like what's in my butter churn um is what's <laughs> in the bed with us you know what i mean and keeping us i think from having a true intimacy Title track is next, uh, Kiss Off Kiss. Can you talk about how Kiss Off Kiss is telling someone to nicely fuck off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really interested in like um, mixed messages and like kind of gray areas. And um, I have a hard time making people mad at me. And so like to say fuck off, but to, like say it nicely is sort of my... I mean, I definitely am working on this, but like has in the past has been my method, <laughs> my stance or something. So so this this song was just a really fun kind of list song for me of like, what are the kind of light and dark pairs 
nice and fuck off things, um, mixed message kind of moments that oh, that's um, fun. That could be yeah. So you so you just end up with like, is it a wave of hello or goodbye? Is it BDSM play or is it violence? Is it um, you know these sort of? I mean, obviously some of that is like dark stuff, but um, but like like that mixed message like what and i i would keep this an open question but like what is like a kiss off kiss and i think that's like a great way to say it it's like a, a nice fuck you but it's also like it's also like bye but bye <laughs> mm. <laughs> are we really <laughs> did i like what was that a what kind of kiss was that it's still a kiss i'm in the doorway heart hanging on my sleeve i'm gonna run before you off me this is a kiss like an astronaut blinded by a hundred watt sun i went for the cheap shot and on god went and forgot um landing spot was a poem that you shared um because of della may i read i saw the, the oh. youtube video of you reading this as a poem and the description said that Della May have a regular Sunday morning pandemic broadcast, and they asked you to contribute poems that have been helpful in the time of COVID. Yeah, this was a poem that I had just written already uh, for this project. And when Della May asked for a poem, I was like, oh, I'll do that poem. Um, but it existed before the uh, shortly before the pandemic. Um, again, part of this project about um, essentially, yeah, as part of this um oeuvre I guess or something or exploration of this person um and this one I think is is the sort of like I'm gonna be okay uh kind of thing like mm. you know I value my own qualities I'm coming back to earth like this whole mess of this whole thing got me out of my orbit now I'm landed back to my to my spot um and it also came from the game and the prompt was landing spot um and I was also very sick when I made this is this one I think that I wrote the week after the litany for the minor character where I was still really sick so I still couldn't sing to send in my weekly thing so I wrote this poem. Mm. The way that you read the poem, the beat and the tone are like pretty different than the way that you sing it, even though it's like sing speaking. Mm -hmm. How did you differentiate poem performance from song performance? I really, really love this English artist called Kate Tempest. I should correct myself, Kay Tempest, uh, using a they, them pronoun now. And I love, 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 love their work. And some of it is um, kind of traditional, like British MC, like storytelling. And some of it is less, is this more like an untethered experience of a beat and poems happening at the same time. Um, they made this record with Rick Rubin. It's awesome. Like, look it up. There's a um, a oh, podcast cool. where they talk about how they made it and like the crazy Rick Rubin process that had to happen. But but part of it was that Kay was in one room doing their poems, and their producing partner, this um, English musician, were in another was in another room, kind of live playing, but they couldn't hear each other. Oh, like um, uh, that John Cage thing, interdeterminacy. I think so. Like I, I don't remember the. It's exact the same. It's the same yeah. concept. He tells little right. one-minute stories, and then uh, I can't remember the musician's name, is playing like weird sounds. Yeah. And so stuff. I've used that an, a number of times. So for, 
uh, for the landing spot, both I've only done the vocal for it twice, once on the demo and once for the record. And um, both times I did that, I didn't listen to the music and just said the poem how it felt right to say the poem. And then all of these really amazing, unpredictable, random, like, points of connection happen that you just can't, you can't have orchestrated or predicted. Um, so cool. It's really cool, and it's surprising every time. And it's the same thing, we're doing the same thing for Litany when we play Litany Live. Um, so the band is on a, on a cycle, like an eight-bar cycle, and I am sort of, to the best of my ability, like, on another cycle, like, off with the audience. Um, mm-hmm. performing the poem and we have these moments where they do come together mm. love it when the answer is more interesting than the question oh, come <laughs> I on, did that not expect question. that one Uh, the next song is called Today Sex, and the transition is very funny to me. Tell me. which. What do it's you mean the transition? The transition between the songs. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, what, yeah, it, it's just like such a, um, it's such an upbeat. So a, a couple things about this song. It's like a very upbeat and joyful song, but it's also like pretty vulnerable, mm-hmm. at least like. As mm-hmm. as someone who is a shy person, it might be vulnerable mm-hmm. to talk so much about sex. Extreme. Um, and like sex is funny in this song, but it's also about rejection. So mm-hmm. how are you like how is it like for you to put that song out there? Really, really hard. Really hard. Um, this is the first song I wrote for this project. Um, and I wasn't thinking of it as a project when I wrote it. It really was like, this is, it wasn't for the game. It was like, not for anything really. It was just like trying to, yeah, I think just trying to process this one particular day that was really annoying and hurtful and Mm. whatever. And, um, but I really liked the song, like really liked the song. It was really fun to sing and really fun to write, but I could not imagine playing it. Like it was sort of the canary in the coal mine for the rest of these, like, like I just couldn't imagine playing it and at the end of 2019 I was playing shows and I was like how do I put this song? I want to play this song but I I just was like I can't do this like people people won't get where I'm coming from I think they're gonna hate the song like it's too explicit is it mean it has a lot of fucks in it and um and I was talking to Natalia Zuckerman about this and she suggested that I set it up as um, not about me, that I lie. And like basically say to the audience that I had a friend that got like super wronged and I wrote this song for them. And <laughs> just be it, to try to, and so I did that for a while. <laughs> basically lied and was like, God, I had this friend who just got like fucked over and I just thought it'd be great to write a song for them. So, so like it wouldn't be me singing it. And, um, and then I got more comfortable with it and once the context of these other kiss off kiss songs started to happen i kind of got more used to the idea of it and now i'm able to set it up now it lives in in the show in a way where it doesn't feel so like um egregious to me or um 
terrifying to like say mm. to say these kind of things because there are, are kind of worse things on other records and on other parts of the record and then that this um moment it is kind of like a palate cleanser like playful playfulness and it's it's got um it's been getting what i wanted it to get at shows which is lots of laughs until your text came through at 10 22 when i make time for you it's a fucking gift the last song is little miss mister this song seems very horny to me. Horny? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like a Steve Berlin really will really like hearing that. That was his goal. <laughs> his goal was his goal was like a bunch of men standing on the street watching women walk by. And and for yeah. me I'm not attached to the gender of it, but but there there that's the that's the vibe that we're going for was a kind of a like a a leer and a snarl and a kind of um cat call. Yeah, I wrote down Bruce Springsteen or Muddy Waters. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But you don't attach gender. I don't attach gender because it's about this person. Um, so that's who I'm thinking of when I'm singing it. But I know Steve wasn't thinking about Steve was just thinking about like this vibe of a group of a group of men like kind of messing around like with someone. But there is a real walking feeling to it to me and um and I think we were also kind of working in a little bit of like a Lou Reed idiom um, mm. with it. And um, but there's a lot of stuff in this song that I don't understand, um, like lines that I wrote that felt like the right line. But I'm not entirely sure I understand what they are, which is totally fine with me because I it's sort of operating on on too many levels for me to like really understand. Is it a type of situation where you might revisit this song in like a year or two and, and understand it? Possibly. This is not, this one has never been played live um, and probably won't be because I have a fear that it's like too, too slow to hold people's mm. attention in a, in a live environment. Um, but it felt important to me to have it on the record. And then there was the, the, the lines at the end of it are very, very important to me. Um, in terms of buttoning up and setting up the whole record, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But then there was an extremely like practical reason for this song, which was that um, I somehow have this message in my brain. It's probably left over from my days of being on, you know, early 2000s, being on record labels, whatever the industry was like then, where like a full length record has to be 40 minutes. And I had an experience with my second record. Um, it's called Grand. When I turned it in, it was, uh, I think it was like 33 or 34 minutes. And I turned in the completed record to the record label and they kind of sent it right back and were like, we, ca we can't put this out as a full length record. We, liter we literally can't charge a full length price for it because it's the distributor will say it's not enough, it's not enough music. So we need you to come up with like nine extra minutes of music <laughs> before we can put this out. So I- You're like, all I, right, correct. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote like two two of my favorite songs ever, um, oh. Slung Low and Cosmopolitans. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> right? I wrote Hell them. yeah. I wrote them because the record label was like, this record's too short. And then I put a cover on there. And so that's how I got, got to my nine minutes. Um, and then we also moved the digital endpoint of the record so that it, I think it, the record is still like 39 minutes and 
10 seconds, but we moved the digital endpoint of it. So when you put the CD in, it says 41 minutes. <laughs> so like, it's, anyway, that's, that's a long way of saying that I just have this thing in my brain where I was like, I, I, the record has to be 40 minutes. So I made Little Miss Mister for various thematic reasons for the record, but uh-huh. also to get us to uh, more than 40 minutes. <laughs> Which is why the song is so long and is played so slowly. <laughs> but like I said, the last lines that the last lines of 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 that um, of that song are are actually really really important to me and to, and to me like the whole record builds to those lines. Yeah, I thought it was a really good album closer. Good. Uh, that's probably. I mean, that's the intention. Yeah. What you say, Mister? Do you like my? All right, before you go, um, I was listening back to our interview that we did the first time on Basic Folk, and Aaron, you did the very first lightning round. Oh, really? When was that? Do you remember? Yes, it was It was the t- uh, the 20th episode, so I think it might have been in 2019, early 2019. And how many do you have now? Hundreds. Uh, we just released our 139th episode. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, rad. Look at you with your multiple episode podcast. Yes. It's going well. Um, Okay, so I have new questions for you for the lightning round. Great. Are you ready? Ready. What is a song that makes you cry every time? No song makes me cry. Wow. I don't know that one. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, uh, Every episode of Call the Midwife makes me cry. And most episodes of Ted Lasso make me cry, but no song makes me cry. Who is your guitar hero? Um, the Edge. What is your favorite scented candle? I hate, hate scented candles, and I live very close to Yankee Candles corporate yeah, headquarters. Do. Very close, and it's very upsetting. I'll be right there. <laughs> Who do you unabashedly stan? Woo! Hannah Waddingham, who plays Rebecca on Ted Lasso. It's my newest one. She is so good a singer, and she's like six foot three, and is just a righteous human shape. Yeah, agree. Mm. What's one product you cannot live without? <clears throat> Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap. Mm. That's a good one. Can you tell that I'm queer? <laughs> <laughs> no, because you don't like scented candles, and that's oh, confusing. That's true. <laughs> Also, your outward appearance kind of gives it away. Right. What is your favorite brand of sweatpants? I, in my quest for small clothing that is gender-free, I found um, a boys' clothing website in China, and um, I have a couple sweatsuits from them. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What is your most shameful quarantine activity? I'm not, it's not, I'm not shamed about it at all. Like I have gone into, I set about training hard to get better at the New York Times crossword puzzle. And I do like uh, maybe 10 of them a day through the archive and then each day's one. And like, I, I am, I have had 25 day streaks. I have built it all the way up to, which is two Saturdays and two Sundays. That's awesome. Okay. Here's the last question. Where would you like to go once travel restrictions are lifted worldwide post-pandemic? 
I wouldn't mind going to Key West with nothing to do. I was just thinking that. Right? Should we go? Let's go. All right, great. I know some great folks there. We'll like rent bikes and like get a little cottage and like we will. Let's get Mary Gaucher to go. She likes to go there all the time. Yeah, she does really well there. She can do a show that'll pay for our trip. Great. This is amazing. Ah, I'm so excited for our vacation. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the record closely. That really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for coming on and talking for so long about this record. Yeah, it's yeah. been great having you, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Basic Folk This Week was produced by Sarah Siplak. Our music is composed by Alex Stanton of Townspeople. You can support Basic Folk on basicfolk.com donate. Also, tell a friend. You can subscribe. You can rate and review on Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod. Uh, and just, you know, just keep loving life and listening along. It's so nice to have you here. And uh, you are doing a great job. Thanks for everything. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Mm, bye. Bye.